0: There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black Tonight on the Mightier 1090.
1: Welcome back, Southern California. Welcome back, Raider Nation. This is Silver and Black Tonight. That's right, Southern California's only all Raiders talk show. Glad you could be with us here on the Boomer. The mightier 1090 up and down the West Coast from Baja to the Canadian Rockies. You get out into Las Vegas, up into Utah. You hear us. We're talking Raider football. Scottle Branson with you. Mo Mote and my partner is on assignment, but will be with us for the second half of the show, so don't go anywhere. Of course, top of the show, the death of John Madden. We have to remember Coach Madden, what he did as the Raiders coach, but more importantly, what he did for professional football. When exploring the legacy of John Madden, It's easy as Raider Nation to take ownership and talk about what he did in his 10 years as head coach and the just amazing amount of success he had. He got into the Hall of Fame for his coaching record. But John Madden, much more than that, most of you listening probably don't even remember him coaching. What you remember is, boom, you remember John Madden on Fox Television, on CBS Television, on the Miller Lite commercials, on the Outback Steakhouse commercials. John Madden is the modern face, the modern voice, the man, the the just amazing impact on professional football. Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, said it best. He called John Madden football's Elvis Presley. That's right. He is the king of the NFL. It's hard to argue that. So we're going to spend the first part of the show Remembering John Madden, talking about his impact, not only on the Raiders, not only on all of you, but also on the NFL, on broadcasting, on the world of video games. Yes, the Madden video game. We all know how popular it is. We all know how huge that property is and how John Madden made $150 million off it, uh, but he changed it everything, and he had such an impact. He was everyone's teacher. That's the one thing we'll talk about coming up. Author Stephen Travers. Author Stephen Travers, who we've talked to on our show out in Las Vegas in the past, but Stephen Travers wrote the book, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Oakland Raiders, heart-pounding, jaw-dropping, gut-wrenching moments for Oakland Raiders history. He wrote the book, Former Journalist with the San Francisco Chronicle. He's going to talk about John Madden, his impact not only with the Raiders and tell us some great stories, but we'll reflect with him as well on John Madden's uh, history as the, the man and the face of the NFL, because that's really what it was. And uh, he's going to be missed. Of course, John Madden passing away 85 years old, just amazing the outpouring, and as you know, on Sunday's games, the Raiders will be in Indianapolis on Sunday in a must-win situation to get to the playoffs. Uh, Every NFL game will have a moment of silence, a moment of silence for Coach John Madden, uh, and that is deserved, and I'm sure, and I've seen a lot of people out in social media talking about how are they going to honor him. I think they will honor him probably with the MVP award, or some sort of award uh, named after him. Of course, you have the Vince Lombardi Trophy, aptly named for the man who was really the first half of modern football, uh, but John Madden equally and probably more important than even the great coach Vince Lombardi when you look at the impact he had on his game, on the game overall, the impact he had on players. If you watched the all-Madden documentary, Lawrence Taylor talked about how John Madden made him a better player because he wanted to be on the all Madden team. He wanted John Madden when he was calling his games to give him praise. That is just huge. And the end, I don't want, if you haven't seen the documentary, I don't want to ruin it for you, excuse me. But the end of that documentary and what John Madden says shows the humility of the man, the greatness of the man, and how he really truly did impact so many. So we're going to get into talking about and honoring the great John Madden the late John Madden here now as we bring on our first guest here he is the author of the good the bad and the ugly Oakland Raiders heart-pounding jaw-dropping gut-wrenching moments from Oakland Raiders history that is one Mr. Stephen Travers Steve thanks for being with us to talk about and remember coach Madden
2: absolutely what a great guy what a absolute legend I'm a big big fan of John Madden.
1: Well, and Steve, that's where I want to start. First of all, you know, we're going to get into the Raiders history, and then I want to get your thoughts, too, on John Madden and his impact on the overall game of professional football. But first of all, you know, being being in the Bay Area and working in the Bay Area, uh, of course, you were at the Chronicle uh, and, and worked as a journalist up there. Um, he's a native son. So, so John Madden, not only as the coach of the Raiders and the great success he had there, but being from that area, he settled in Pleasanton, obviously, for the rest of his life after his, his coaching career was over. Talk a little bit of just of what he means to the folks in the Bay Area as one of their own going on to having such great success.
2: Well, uh, my family actually lived in a daily City um, during the time that he was growing up. Uh, my brother went to uh, one of Madden's rival high schools, and his best friend went to high school with Madden. And uh, he was not a friend of Madden, but Madden was a well-known uh, sports star. He was an outstanding baseball player, a catcher, as you might imagine. Um, <laughs> I believe he was drafted. Or, I don't he was drafted because there was no draft, but I believe the Philadelphia Phillies um, offered him a chance to play, but he loved football. <laughs> he started at one school and then transferred. Um, but th- that whole uh, era, I've often spoken to my brother and his friends about, um, I guess, what you could call a golden era of high school sports hmm. in um, in San Francisco, and in the Bay Area. He was a part of that, kind of the last part of that. Uh, he was down to the Peninsula, uh, which is the West Coast, the West Catholic Athletic League. He didn't play in that league, but his good friend, uh, his lifelong childhood friend, John Robinson. Grew up with him. He played at another high school, Sarah High School, just where Tom Brady later went, and also Barry Bond. So, uh, obviously, uh, just from naming those guys, there was a lot of talent coming out of there, and um, uh, Madden came out of a, a very competitive environment.
1: Yeah, no doubt, and the, and you talked about John Robinson, of course, their their lifelong friendship, uh, and we'll get into some of that later. Now, you you fast forward, and he, he plays football, college football at Cal Poly, um, and then he takes on some some coaching duties, including working for the late great Don Coriel down at San Diego State. He finds his way, and suddenly, at 32 years old, Al Davis sees something in him, uh, likes what John Madden's about, hires him as the coach of the Oakland Raiders, those early days. I mean, 1970, he was the coach of the year in the NFL. Talk about the the hiring of John Madden, Al Davis, what he said about it and what it said uh, about the history of John Madden getting his way to the Raiders.
2: Well, before getting into that, just a couple notes about Cal Poly. Um, he was there, I believe he was there with Ted Tolner, mm-hmm. who I think went to San Diego State with him and later be- was known as an offensive guru and later became USC's coach. It was also, um, he wasn't on the poly team that uh, had a plane crash, but it happened a year or two after he got out and he knew a lot of the players. And that, I think, played a role in his um, phobia about flying. Mm. But yeah, he went to uh, San Diego State and Don Coryell had established a very wide open offense uh, they had a quarterback named Dennis Shaw and a number of other great players. Um, but uh, Madden was more of a line guy. He was more of a defensive guy or a line guy. He was really into the uh, the interior game, and he understood it. And he obviously uh, gets this incredible opportunity. Well, first he goes to a um, – uh, uh, Vince Lombardi had a uh, coaching clinic. He went to that and he sat there glued to it for something like five hours, six hours, taking notes and just paying very close attention and saying, whatever it is this guy is doing, I'm going to follow it and try to do it exactly as he's doing it. So uh, he really studied the game. And the opportunity comes about in 1967 to become an assistant with the Raiders. He's a very young guy. Uh, He may have been playing uh, at that time, but he had sustained an injury at some point. That was the main reason he got into coaching so young. Um, And he's under John Rauch, who was a Hmm. very good coach, uh, certainly a successful coach, who led the Raiders to the Super Bowl in 67 and another fantastic year in 68. They They were a dynasty before Madden. Mm-hmm. But they were owned by John, by uh, Al Davis, and uh, a lot of coaches have had trouble with Al Davis. And Rouch uh, was really the first one, and um, didn't like his meddling and telling <laughs> who to play and what to do and how to run practice. So uh, Madden gets the opportunity at 31 or 32, whatever he was, very young. Uh, what Davis said was. Davis had grown up in Brooklyn, a Dodger fan. He said the Dodgers get a Walt Alston type. Uh, the Dodgers get a Dodger type who's a Walt Alston type. We're we're looking for a Raider type, and we think John Madden is a Raider type. Hmm. Um, and he certainly got that right because he was exactly what Davis wanted, and he really whatever the the. Uh, Atmosphere was with the Raiders. Whatever their particular, like uh, Vince Lombardi was the Packers, and Hank Stram was the Chiefs, and each had their own. John Shula was the Colts. Each had their um, their way, their style. Pete Carroll had his style, and John Madden had his, and it uh, it created the Raiders style, um, and it was probably gone long after after he left, but it was certainly the way the Raiders approached football in those days, and it was uh, the players liked it, and then Al Davis liked it, the fans liked it, and the team responded.
1: Yeah, again, we're we're talking to Steve Travers, uh, author of The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly Oakland Raiders Heart-Pounding and so on history of the team. And we're talking about John Madden and Steve. Um, he gets in there, uh, starts coaching the Raiders, has instant success. He goes 12-1 and 1 in his first year in 1969, and then 8-4, and 8-4, and 10-3. And, uh, and he's always there. The Raiders are there. I mean, we know the games. We know uh, the championship games they've lost and and so on. And then finally, in 1976, um, he gets to the promised land, and they win the first Super Bowl for the Raiders and for Al Davis. But when you talked about, just a moment ago, the players liking Al Davis, and then the one thing that I've always heard and and talking...
2: I think you mean mean Madden, although I think they did actually like Al Davis.
1: Yes, yes, John Madden. And that's the thing... A lot of
2: people don't realize that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. When you talk about Madden, and I talk to players, you know, the guys... Of the, that played during these years, like Phil Villapiano and, and, and guys like that, they all talked about how much they loved John Madden because John Madden let them be who they were. He just wanted them to win. He wanted them to perform, to be on time, and to practice hard and play hard. Um, what was it about his approach? Where did that come from, do you think? And, and how was it so successful with all those personalities, the John Matuzags, the, the, the Phil Villapianos, the Ken Stablers?
2: Well, I think uh, he responded to the time. Mm. Um, the coaches of the 40s, 50s, and into the 60s were, shall we call the World War II generation. Right. These were the Vince Lombardi, Tom Landry types. A lot of them had served in the war, and even if they hadn't, they were strict disciplinarians who had military approaches to the game. And John Madden, I mean, let's face it, here's a guy, he's growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area during a time in which uh, Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac are, uh, you know, on street corners uh, uh, preaching beatnik uh, (laughs) poetry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's probably a little bit different uh, where he was from. And a lot of great coaches came from California, Robinson, uh, John Madden. Bob Toledo, Pete Carroll, um, Dick Vermeil. For some reason, um, these guys were the next generation, and they seemed to be a little bit more player-friendly. And Madden certainly was player-friendly. And he was – and, you know, that Davis, for all of his um, – all of his uh, – discipline and all of his belief in in the Raider way, and the Raider excellence, he was never about, well, you know, you have to have, you know, uh, you have to be there at five o'clock in the morning and (laughs) you have to practice seven hours and got to be in the weight room all day. And you, you you can't have fun until the game is over. Uh, You know, to him, winning was fun. Just win, baby. That was his (laughs) philosophy. And that was Madden's philosophy. And he had he had renegades. He inherited renegades. They had Ben Davidson. They had um, George Atkinson. They had Jack Tatum. Um These were individualists.
0: Mm-hmm. And of
2: course, they had Ken Stabler. <laughs> <laughs> and I've written extensively of Stabler and his relationship with Paul Bear Bryant, and it was Bryant. Finally realized, you know, maybe I'm going to have to lighten up a little bit because some of these guys are are changing a little bit in the '60s, and that was stable. And um, you know, he, he famously claimed that he read the the playbook in the light of the jukebox. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yep. You know,
2: and they had a good time. And it was also the last team I re- I think I I re- wrote in my book that you know. Fred Dreyer and O.J. Simpson and Joe Namath, they were partying at Studio 54, or they were at the, at the Playboy Mansion with Hugh Hefner, right? Well, the Raiders were in Oakland, and that was a very blue-collar town, and they literally drank in bars next near the uh, practice facility in San Leandro that were neighborhood bars, and they drank with their fans. Yeah. And uh, that was their philosophy. Uh, They were very popular and a blue-collar team, and they were represented by a blue-collar coach
1: yeah and, and it's just amazing and, and your book does such a great job of I think going through those are some great stories of course we only have a couple minutes left so we can't go into all the great ones and you were on with us before and if you want to hear some of those stories you can listen to that past show but Stephen in the couple minutes we have left too there's no doubting what, uh, what John Madden did on the field and his record and what he did as a coach with the Raiders but then of course he has this massive career in broadcast I mean even the video game stuff talk about in your view the impact of John Madden post-coaching on professional football and what his legacy is.
2: Well, for one thing, he made watching the football game fun and understandable, um, and he and women liked it. You know, he was um, he was friendly uh, to all people. You even though he was doing boom, he, the, the <laughs> linebacker goes here, and the and then we open up the slot, the tight end goes here. Nobody really followed that except for the hardcore people but it was just funny and his appearance it was a little rumpled and a little bit funny and here he is with pat summerall who was pretty buttoned down so it was a great combination and he just um he made it enjoyable he made watching these broadcasts very enjoyable
1: he did, and and, and just the, the terminology. I mean, even seeing the All Madden documentary, which I'm sure you've watched or are going to watch, uh, the Turducken, all these different things that I think you know. kids today, I say kids as a guy who's 50 years old, uh, people in their 20s and 30s, they never knew John Madden, the coach. They know John Madden, the broadcaster, uh, and the pitch man, and also the video game baron, uh, but it's certainly his, his impact for everyone in explaining the game to people, like you said, Bringing that ex—I mean, we there. There's now a whole a whole business around breaking down film, and that to me, of course, coaches have done that forever. But John Madden started that, made it more mainstream by doing it with the Telestrator and all of that. So it's 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 really amazing. We certainly appreciate you spending some time with us to talk about Coach Madden, and I highly recommend everybody read your book, Steve Travers. Thanks so much for being with us tonight.
2: Hey, thank you very much for having me, and God bless John Madden.
1: Well, there you have it. Uh, definitely pick up the book. I Steven was on a show. Look at our archive. You can find that show. Hear all the great stories from his book, including about John Madden's bed checks and all that stuff. But a great way to remember him uh, as we approach um, the end of our first segment. By the way, we are going to talk about uh, the game coming up uh, on Sunday against the Colts. Uh, Mo Moten, my co-host, will be joining us here after the break. We'll also be joined by Lawrence Owen, who does the Believe in Colts podcast? He's going to give us the breakdown on the Raiders' opponent coming up at uh, at. Uh Lucas Oil Field up in Indianapolis, which I actually visited. I saw the Seahawks and the Colts play the first week of the season up there. It's going to be a cold, but it's going to be nice and inside in a dome, so that's good for the Raiders. But we're going to step aside. Don't forget, make sure you visit our website, silverandblacktonight.com. All of our shows are archived up there as well. Follow us on Twitter, at snbtonight.com. Uh, make sure you do that. We interact as well. I am at LV Gully on Twitter as well. We're going to step aside, pay some of those bills. Southern California, Raider Nation, are you fired up? Is this team going to make the playoffs? Ooh, they got to win two in a row. They got to beat the Colts Sunday, and then they got to come back to LA and beat the Chargers. You're going to tell me whether or not that's going to happen, I'm sure, online. All right, we're going to step aside when we come back. Mo Mountain, Lawrence Owen. Believe in Colts podcast. We're going to break down Indianapolis. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight only on the Mightier 1090.
0: We will be right back with Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090. SoCal Sports Talk. Now, back to Scott and Mo on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 AM. Welcome back. Happy New Year's Eve. What are you toasting
1: tonight? Ooh, I'm ready. Mo. I'm ready for 2021. I said the same thing about 2020. I'm ready for the year to be over and for us to turn the page because I'm excited about 2022. I have the glass half full approach. How about you?
3: You, I'm always positive. I have to pick you up sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> true.
1: Very true.
3: But I'm, I'm always a glass half full type of person. I know Raiders fans would agree with that. Some may not, but you know, it's all up opinion.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Uh, but wherever you are in Southern California, around the country, listening to us, uh, Raider Nation, do me a favor. If you're going to go out and have fun tonight, which I expect everyone to do to celebrate the end of the year. Do not get behind the wheel no matter what you're doing and enjoying from a drink perspective. Uh, There's too many ways to get help. You can get free rides tonight. Check your local Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, your local taxi companies, Uber, Lyft. These companies all have options for you to get home. Don't ruin your life and someone else's life and someone else's family by getting behind the wheel tonight. So that's my soapbox. But I know, Raider Nation, you want to be good out there, so make sure you do that. Enjoy the night. Just don't get behind the wheel. All right, we are going to switch focus now. We talked in the first segment a lot about the passing of former Raiders coach John Madden. Now we're talking about the game on Sunday, a must-win game for the Raiders as they head out to Indianapolis to face a tough Colts team. And to talk about the Colts, uh, we're turning to our good friend Lawrence Owen. He is the host of the Colts Law Podcast as well as the Believe in Colts pod, uh, podcast with Daquel Jackson. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Colts underscore law. Lawrence, thanks for being with us, man. I hope you had a great Christmas and happy new year.
4: Thank you for having me. Actually, it was, it was pretty good. I just, <laughs> just want to uh, throw back real quick, apparently to your, your previous topic. Uh, um, my condolences uh, to the Madden family, um, because I mean, on, honestly, John Madden had a huge effect on myself and my life as I was growing up watching football mm. and, you know, how I break film down and stuff is has a lot to do with, with how he did it during the games, you know, making it uh, very easy to understand for other listeners and stuff. So uh, he had a profound impact on my life and and I absolutely love watching him uh, as a coach and and obviously on television as well.
1: Yeah, Lawrence, no, so well said. Mo wrote in his latest column about John Madden about the same thing. And I talked about it, Stephen Travers who was on in our first segment who wrote a book about the Raiders. And that's what that's what we talked about was his impact and how he brought football down to a level that we could all understand an educator. I mean, he really coached the American public and, and I agree with you, breaking down film like you do, um, and there's some great content providers out there, some people who do film breakdown, our friends over over at uh, um, Tape Don't Lie, Those guys, all of those guys, I believe, are here today because of John Madden, so we certainly appreciate that, I'm sure Raider Nation uh, appreciates that coming from uh, out in Indianapolis. Now, Lawrence... The Colts, just like the Raiders, uh, of course, dealing with the COVID-19 issues, as has the entire NFL. And then the, the, the Colts also have other injury issues. Jack Doyle, uh, Eric Fisher, Sandejo, the safety have been out, didn't practice uh, as of Thursday as well. What's the state of the Colts? How do they feel about those guys coming off a COVID protocol and being able to play on Sunday against the Raiders? And then what about those three players that are injured as well?
4: Well, as for the people coming off the COVID protocol, many of them are coming off as of right now, and many more probably, just like everyone around the league. I think what was like a hundred and nine of them yeah. uh, players came off the the COVID because of that change uh, for the the five day uh, situation, but that's kind of in flux, right? With what we're going to get back from, from COVID because they still have to be symptom-free or you know lessening symptoms uh, in order to be cleared by a doctor to play. So uh, a lot of players still up in the air. Obviously, Carson Wentz will not be uh, actually cleared potentially by a team doctor uh, until Sunday morning. So we won't even know about him mm-hmm. and a few others until the day of the game. Uh, so there, there's a lot of anticipation uh, among Colts Nation about whether or not some of these guys will be back. But as for the guys with the injuries, Sendejo had that concussion a couple weeks ago. It's been two weeks. I don't. The idea is if he practices Friday, that's a good chance that he could come back. So mm-hmm. we're all kind of crossing fingers and hoping. Um, obviously, Willis being uh, being able to come back is a huge boost as well. And, um, let's see here as for Jack Doyle and, and Eric Fisher, you know, day-to-day process from what the coach has been saying all week. And then of course we got Ryan Kelly who lost his child, uh, last week, um, in birth. So, you know, we don't know what that all pro or that pro bowler is going to be, whether or not he'll be in the game as well. So that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's up in the air. But there's also a lot of, um, you know, positiveness coming out of this as well as we're getting a lot of people back because against the Cardinals, the Colts, I think, had like four pro bowlers and like seven starters out. Mm-hmm. And we don't expect that to happen again this week against the
3: Raiders. Now, you mentioned Carson Wentz. He may not be clear to play until Sunday morning. I just wanted to ask, even if he is clear to play, um, is it possible that Sam Ellinger makes himself a more appealing number two quarterback option by the way he runs the offense during at practice during this week? Because given Wentz's injury history, I feel like the Colts need to feel confident in their primary backup QB. And I'm wondering, if could Ellinger be that guy beyond
4: 2021? Ew. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this out. Uh, this is a personal opinion from what I've seen when I went to training camps and watched him during training camps. And, of course, what I seen from him during preseason. Mm -hmm. I am not confident in Sam Ellinger. Okay. Mm -hmm. He is a baller. I will give him that. He does everything he can to move, but because of the way he delivers the football and the lack of arm strength, he leaves that ball out there too long in the air for defenders to be able to make a play on it. And that's why, you know, he ends up with a lot of turnovers when it comes to interceptions and stuff. So I'm I'm not the biggest uh, fan of, of moving on from somebody and going to Sam Ellinger as a number two, maybe, you know, I'd be okay with him as a number two. Obviously Frank Reich and this coaching staff has a lot, a little more faith in him than I do, but Mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, we haven't really seen a whole lot from Ellinger other than a a couple wild card snaps this year.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, as far as Wentz is concerned getting to the starting quarterback, how would you grade his season? Cuz a lot of people are giving praise to Jonathan Taylor and I get it. He's probably the the top pick as an MVP non-quarterback player, but how would you grade Wentz's season? I know he's had basically one consistent weapon in Michael Pittman Jr. on the outside and then uh a lot of people talk about again the Colts offensive line and ground attack, but as far as him, if you, you just isolate his game, what would you say about it this season?
4: I think he's gotten a whole lot better than what he has in the past. He used to hold the ball a little bit too long, didn't really uh, throw throw it away or, or you know, just get rid of the football. He, he would hold on to it, trying to make those Superman plays a lot uh, in his past. He doesn't do that nearly as much with Indianapolis, from what I can tell. Frank Reich's very good at coaching that out of players, like what he did with Andrew Luck, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the 2018 season. I, I would grade him much better than what I saw the last couple years. But he still has those plays every once in a while. You, you see at least generally once a game where you, he leaves you scratching your head going, Mm-mm. what in the world did you just do? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand this. Um, but then at the same time, and those, get, those plays get highlighted by media massively. Mm-hmm. And you don't get the highlights of you know, where he has tucked the ball guaranteed you should have been sacked for a six yard loss. He takes off on third and 18 and picks up 20 yards on a scramble or, or rolls out and finds Michael Pittman downfield for a first down or something like that. You don't see that nearly as much because, you know, uh, let's face it. uh, The negative sells more than the positive does. So um, I'm, I like where Wentz is at, but I still, I still need to see more. Uh, one year with a franchise is not uh, enough, really, in my opinion, uh, to put a, a, a full uh, grade on him. You know, I, I'd like to see a second year where he's mm-hmm. got, you know, all that previous year plus an extra off season to get used to the players around him and and the scheme and all of that. But right now, I, I like what I see from Wentz.
1: Lawrence Owen, the host of the Believe in Colts podcast with Dequell Jackson, also the host of Colts Law, uh, is our guest here on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090. Uh, and Lawrence, we talk about Jonathan Taylor. I mean, he—he he, uh, everyone in the league knows who Jonathan Taylor is, knows what kind of special season he is having. Talk to us, though, about him as a player, his impact on on the team, of course, the numbers, uh, the rushing yards, all of that we see in the highlight reel. But what has what he meant to this team on and off the field?
4: Oh, my. Uh, off the field. Let, let's talk about what he brings, you know, mentality-wise, mm. you know, to to, to the players uh, around him and the coaching staff because he goes out there and he practices just as hard as he does when he's playing, right? the defenders out there have to tackle him full bore. He's not going at it halfway. He's he's he leans into the defenders and initiates contact during practice (laughs) during practice, man. And what this does is it, it, it keeps the physicality up. And, you know, when he breaks something or he makes a big hit on his own while carrying the football or, or makes an impressive block, believe it or not for passing the, uh, pass protection or, or lead blocking for Naheem Hines like we saw, you know, um, earlier, uh, I think it was last week uh, on that touchdown. Um, he brings that up with the rest of the team, defensively, offensively, it, it, it raises uh, their feelings and and, and emotions and, and makes them play even better. So outside of just the, you know, what he's able, the numbers and the stats, just his, his ability to to make everyone around him play better just because of the, the effort that he puts on the field and during practice, it's just unbelievable. And he's, he's one of the kindest guys you'll ever talk to as well. He's, he's very humble. You know, people talk to him about MVP all the time. And he's like, look, that's nice and all, but really I'm just here. I want to help our team win, you know Uh, which obviously is something that everyone generally wants to hear, you know, other people say, and most people do. Uh, in the NFL, but it's still something that it's nice to hear uh, a guy who's getting all the, the national media attention being able to go out there and say stuff like that.
3: So, Lawrence, big pick, big picture question here: uh, early in the season, Colts have squandered leads against the Ravens, Titans, and Bucks, but they were able to put away the Bills decisively, the Patriots decisively, edge the Cardinals. Uh, when this team is able to put a strong hold on opponents in close games, what do they do best versus when they're when they're slipping late in games?
4: Okay. So what I have noticed a lot is the Colts generally jump out to a massive lead in the first half against Mm. everyone that they play. You usually see two, three score leads in the first half. And then the second half, the defense scheme wise is called. And, and I understand the reasoning for it, but they kind of go softer on the defense, right? They, they try to, you know, go into that, uh, kind of coverage, uh, kind of umbrella coverage, keep everything in front of them, tackle, make you go the long way, eat clock. But and I understand why they do that because they figure, you know, it'll make them take longer to walk down the field and score. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can't do that against good teams. You can't do that against Tom Brady. You can't do that against Lamar Jackson, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can't do that against really good teams who are able to do stuff like that, because they will take those 15 yard, you know, 10, 15 yard, easy completions over and over and over, walk down the field and score. And they'll just do it over and over and over and over. And then next thing you know, what was once a 17 or a 20 point lead, as you get into the fourth quarter, all of a sudden you're looking at a a three point lead or a tie ball game or something. And it ends up coming down to the last play of the game or go into overtime or something. And that's generally what has happened now with the Tampa Bay game. It was turnovers. Hmm. Turnovers was a big deal. Colts generally don't have problems with turnovers, but in that game there was three fumbles and an interception in that game, and you can't do that against Tom Tom Brady's going to take those every every time and (laughs) go down there and score. I think they scored 24 points off those four turnovers. So, you know, uh, that kind of did it in. But for the most part, um, when they win and they close out convincingly, they're playing more close on defense and forcing a team to earn every yard Rather than playing, you know, backing off the coverage and just allowing you to pick up easy stuff.
1: Yeah, and obviously the the defense and the takeaways that the Colts have been so good at this year has helped them with that as well. we got a couple minutes left with you, Lawrence, so I want to ask you this question in closing from, from Indianapolis, from the Colts' perspective. What one thing about the Raiders game concerns you if you're a Colts fan or someone following the Colts? And then what's the one thing that you're excited about uh, that you think that the Colts can exploit against this Raiders team?
4: Well, there's actually two things that worry me a little bit about the Raiders, so I'm sorry I'm not going to answer it fully. I wanna, <laughs> That's okay. I'm going to double it up. Um, Derek Carr has played very well against the Colts over the last few years. Um, now, his his record doesn't show it, but his 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 numbers do. I mean, the Colts have have found a way to win in those games, but if you go look at the games, he's always played very, very well. He's, his touchdown to interception ratio is good. His completion percentages, yards, everything – He plays the Colts very, very well. So he himself worries me. And then, of course, Yannick and Max scare me to death, okay? (laughs) Um, Especially especially if Eric Fisher can't be out there. All right. Max, I think, leads the NFL in pressures or something like that. Yep. Or either leads or second, one or the other. I I don't know 100%, but I know that uh, he started the year off on freaking fire. And (laughs) um, yeah, I I don't want none of that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, the thing that, that I'm, that I like in this matchup for the Colts is if we do have our offensive line set up, the physicality that the Colts offensive line and running game, I like that. I I understand the Raiders are, have been really good, uh, against the run the last couple weeks, but they, the the Indianapolis Colts run game is a completely different animal, Mm. right? Uh, they're very physical and they're very fast. And they're, uh I just I don't I, I really believe that the Colts could get an edge on that as much as uh, the Raiders might get a little bit of edge on the pass rush on the outsides. I think that uh, we can uh, take advantage of, of as good as Jan- Jonathan Hankins is. And then the guy beside him, I, I really do believe that the Colts can can move the ball up the middle.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, and the Raiders' defense has been better, as you mentioned, the last couple of weeks, but it's a whole different ball game. That offensive line, I've talked about the Colts' offensive line for the last few years and just how good they've been. Uh, so I, I echo your, uh, your point there as well. Lawrence Owen from the Believe in Raiders podcast, also the Colts Law podcast. My friend, we appreciate you being with us and giving us some insight into the Colts.
4: Hey, I appreciate you having me on here. It was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: All right, there you have it from Colts. Now, he called it Colts Nation. We did not, so when you get upset, don't blame Mo
3: and I. <laughs> right. <laughs> that Raiders was not fans us- get upset about that. They're like, hey, it's only one nation. It's That's right, nation.
1: and and I agree with him, actually. Uh, I do. But, Mo, this game coming up on Sunday, yeah, Jonathan Taylor, if I'm the Raiders, uh, you have to stop him. We don't know what's going to happen with quarterback uh, just yet, uh, but the Raiders are going to have that, to me – I, again, I went back to my record. I picked them 9-8 and eight like we did back in August. And I have them losing this one and beating the Chargers next week to close out the season on a high note. Uh, but if they are going to have a chance Sunday in Indy, they're going to have to control at least Jonathan Taylor, aren't they?
3: Yeah, but that's easier said than done when you're facing the league leader in rushing. Uh, as I said to to Lawrence, it, you know, if it wasn't a quarterback award, the MVP award, Jonathan Taylor would probably win it but as we as we talked about with Lawrence too the Raiders defense run defense particularly has stepped up uh, there is finally had a great game last week. Yes. Um, so the Raiders should have some confidence going to this game, but you As I said, I wrote in a piece early in the week, they're going to have to buckle up their trench chin, chin straps because Jonathan Taylor is definitely going to bring it.
1: He is. And, um, I'm excited to watch this game. I mean, I, do I think the Raiders have a chance? Absolutely. I, I yeah. feel better about them because of the way they played the last two weeks. I'm still really concerned about the offense. Uh, but as Lawrence said, Derek Carr does well against the Colts, if the defense can play as well as it has, even if Jonathan Taylor does his thing, if they can control the game in other ways and score points, then I like uh, the Raiders being close in this one. But we'll have to see. And and I wanted to take a minute too, Mo, by the way, to congratulate you on your promotion at Bleach Report. Mo is moving on up and doing well and we just want to tell you here on the air make sure you read mo on bleacher report he covers the entire nfl so congratulations my friend and happy new year
3: I appreciate that. Really do, really do. You've been helping me a lot behind the scenes. A lot of you guys don't know, but me and Scott, we communicate basically every day. <laughs> and either whether it's jokes or stuff going on in the NFL or just life things, Scott Scott's been a great friend to me and I, I really appreciate him. He's helped me on the way up. Now I will also say that just because I am moving up from Bleach Report doesn't mean that the Raiders coverage stops. <laughs> and you will get fair coverage from Bleach Report from me. So if you if you have a gripe about the Bleacher Report articles on the Raiders, I'll fix that when I get up there. You'll get some fair coverage from me.
1: I love it. A new sheriff is in town, baby. And he's he's going to he's gonna bring what he always brings, which is objectivity, which some people don't like. But hey, that's tough. He's going to bring it anyway. Uh, but anyway, listen, I want to thank Stephen Travers. I want to thank Lawrence Owen for being with us. And of course, my co-host, uh, Mo. Mo, enjoy. I know it gets crazy in New York City on New Year's Eve, as it does in Vegas as well. Uh, so take it easy happy new year my friend and we'll talk to you next week
0: hopefully after a Raiders (laughs) victory thank you for joining us please catch Silver and Black tonight every Friday at 6pm on the mightier 1090 AM SoCal Sports Talk